Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics that aren't funny and talk about why they're funny. Like the fact that I'm sitting in my car recording this right now. Don't ask. Now, normally we talk to comedians on the show, but I'm interested in how leaders build great cultures by using the same skills as stand-up comics, not even realizing they're doing it. This is You Can't Laugh at Work. And today's guest is Brenda Hines, Senior Director of Professional Development for Parks Realty, a Brentwood, Tennessee-based company consistently featured on best places to work lists, or best place to work lists. It's a great place to work, and they're proud of that. And what intrigued me the most about Brenda was her background in improv and how that came to play at work. But what I found was more than just the simple yes and. Brenda asks questions of her team, of clients, of her leaders that not only connect her to the other person on a deeper level, but help the other person connect their own ideas to solve their own problems. Fun fact, when we solve a problem, the same parts of our brain light up as when we get a joke. Before we get started, you can learn more about this podcast at watercoolercomedy.org forward slash podcast. You can follow us or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to give us a like on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod. I'm David Horning. Get ready to say yes and and enjoy this episode with Brenda Hines of Parks Realty. I want to kind of rewind back to the beginning of what you were just saying as far as the market that we're in now. Um, the real estate market that we're in now, because, you know, you have a, you have, do you have a background in improv? Did you do that before you got into real estate or was that something that you got interested in um, as you were, as you were learning to you just kind of fall into it? How did that happen? Um, so I've been interested in theater for a long time. So my first experience with theater was well preceded my real estate career. Um, but I did a lot of musical theater and also just plays. And so a typical schedule is eight to 12 weeks of, you know, rehearsal every night and uh, commitment to do that and then being available on the weekends for the shows. And so my interest in improv kind of came from two places. One uh, is being in real estate, you know, starting my real estate career 15 years ago. I found that it wasn't really compatible with my real estate career to commit to a traditional play because I couldn't be at rehearsal every night for eight to 12 weeks. And I couldn't say, hey, I'm going to sign up to be there at the theater all day Saturday and Sunday, because that's when I make my money selling houses. And so I missed being in theater. And so I really wanted to get involved, um, you know, on stage. I really missed that part of my life. And so improv was a way for me to, to do that, because I didn't have to have, you know, rehearsals for eight weeks in order to be in a show or to get to do my craft. And so that was one aspect of it. And then the other aspect is my daughter is an amazing improviser. Um, she studied summer at Second City. Um, she has an improv comedy podcast that you should listen to. They just kind of started on Zoom because, or on, they do it on Zoom because they couldn't perform in front of live audiences anymore, but it's called Ask Questions. And the episode that they had me as the guest improviser in was Bathroom Spaghetti. And it's really cool because you just, you know, 
get on, they're interviewing someone who's supposedly an expert in a field. And when they start, they say, hey, you're Samantha French and you're a cat burglar. Tell us more about that. And so you just have to make up a story and loop it back into, you know, how you are in this role that you're totally unprepared for. Um, so funny. And so, I love that concept. Yeah, you have to listen to ask questions. The latest episodes, I think, are some of the best ones. But they've interviewed uh, their guest improvisers have been improvisers from L.A., New York, Chicago, Nashville. And it's kind of cool that mom got to be on one of the episodes. Um, but in doing improv, I realized how much it really fits into real estate. Uh, because we go into situations where we sit down with the seller at a listing appointment and we have no idea really what that seller needs, how much they expect to get for their house. And so, you know, it's really important that we try to get as much of that information and be prepared in advance of the listing appointment. But a lot of that we can't practice. Um, and so it's really important that we be able to think well on our feet and adapt quickly to situations and curveballs that are thrown at us. And I think that my experience in improv has made me an excellent real estate agent, just because I have that ability to adapt quickly to different personalities and to different situations. And I can take on a role of a character that's not really, you know, myself when I feel like that's kind of the best situation for that seller. Hmm. That, that's a really interesting concept, taking on the role of a character. Now, I do I do a program, uh, the, the six characters that you bring to work with you every day. And, and, and you have the choice. You can be somebody who has, you know, who's there to add value to other people. Or you can be the person who's there to take from other people. You can be so. Um, so, you know, we kind of do make that choice. Um, so how do you read the situation to realize like what sort of role that you should take? Because it takes a lot of non, like nonverbal communication, it takes a lot of listening to do that. So kind of describe how you make that choice. Yeah, and so um, a part of our company culture is to follow a program called Ninja Selling that's based out of Fort Collins, Colorado and Larry Kendall is the author of that book. And he identifies four different personality attributes or basic personality characteristics. And it kind of comes from the disc profile, but uh, they're called power, party, peace, and perfection. And so being able to quickly identify who the player is in the situation allows you to adapt your relationship so that it best suits that personality of the person that you want to be able to serve. And so a power person is usually a co company CEO or an executive, somebody who is a very quick thinker. They they are going to talk in bullet points. And so if you give them a 40 page document that shows the value of their property, they're going to immediately think that's way too much information and you're not going to get that business. A party person is someone who really is driven by people. And so, you know, they want to have fun, whether it's listing a house or buying a house. And there are things that you have to watch for if you're working with a party buyer, because they're very impulse driven, they're going to make quick decisions, but they could also have buyer's remorse and forget that they're buying a fifth floor a condo that's a walk down and they have a big dog, you know, that they're going to have to take out four times a night. So you really, you know, need to make sure that emotion and logic are balanced in that transaction so that uh, they understand the objective side of what they're doing. A peace person really needs to feel comfortable. Uh, they're also more likely to be concerned about the environment or to be um, gaining the input of others. So the influence of mom or dad or coworkers, you know, about making a decision about buying a house would be really important for them. 
And then I'm actually a perfection person. So a perfection person uh, wants all the details. Uh, if I teach a class, I'm going to be super prepared. I'm going to have slides and PowerPoints. Uh, and improv has been super helpful for me as a perfection person because I want to be prepared. Um, if I get a script, I'm going to make sure that I have that memorized well in advance of the day that we're off book because I don't want to call for lines. And so improv has really allowed me to come out of my perfection person shell and to be able to speak naturally, you know, feeling confidence in my own ability without being scripted and without being overly prepared. And you kind of divide it up into four sort of categories. And I could pretty much ask everybody two questions and come to the core of what, you know, identifying sort of if they are power, party, peace, or perfection. And the first question is, if you walk into a room of 30 people that you don't know, are you more likely to walk up and engage people in conversations? Are you more likely to kind of stand back and listen and then, you know, talk if someone asks you a question? And so that separates them into two groups. The first is extrovert and introvert. And so then within those groups, the second question is it's three o'clock. Now you finish with all the things that were on today's to-do list. Are you more likely to start on tomorrow's to-do list or your long-term to-do list? Are you more likely to call a friend and say, hey, it's three o'clock, I finished with everything today. Let's go have a happy hour or grab a cup of coffee. And so that separates whether people are people-oriented or task-oriented. So your power people are extroverted, task-oriented people. Your party people are extroverted, people-oriented people. Peace is, is um, introverted, but people-oriented. That's why the influence of other people or the respect of other people really matters. And perfection, we're task-oriented, introverted people. And so for a perfection person like me, who is in a leadership role or who has to speak in front of others, you know, I had to really come out of my shell to find ways that I felt comfortable in new situations. And that's why improv has really been great. Yeah, that's that's a lot of good stuff right there. Uh, and you had that down too. <laughs> well, I didn't rehearse it. And that's right. part of what improv does is just really, you know, when something's really ingrained in you and you believe in it and you apply it. Um, and it is what I teach. You know, we, mm. as I'm coaching new agents and seasoned agents and agents at all levels of their career, it's really important to be able to, you know, connect with them and help them see that. Because when you sit down, and you start doing your whole spill and you realize that somebody's interrupting you and impatient, you're talking to a power person. You don't have an hour to figure out what they want. You got to get to the point of it. Um, and you, you've got to assume the role that they're expecting you to assume or that's comfortable for them and that they respect. And so um, you're really, you struggle the most when you're opposite. So if you kind of think of power party, peace, power party peace perfection then opposite me would be a party person so um if i give them a 40 page analysis of the value of their home i've lost them because it's all about like the experience um for them so it's really being able to understand what people expect and how they think and being able to assume that character almost of of uh how you're best going to interact with them. 
do you use that same uh, that same tactic when it comes to your team? You know, when you when you meet a new employee, or do you do uh, do you do interviews at all? Or I have been in a recruiting role in the past. And I'm not really in that role now. But our mentors uh, and people in our mentoring team—that's one of the first tasks that we you know do when we're working with someone who's a new agent. And as independent contractors, they're really you know accountable for their own journey to a large degree. But at Parks, like we have a proven track record of success, so we want to align ourselves with new agents who are going to be successful. And being the premier company that we are, we can really kind of set the bar of what kind of talent we're going to, you know, take to partner in with us. And one of those, you know, chore tasks is really identifying, you know, how somebody thinks, how they interact. And if we've got somebody who's a perfection person, um, like me, we know that they can be really slow and kind of getting started in the business because they get hung up on all the details. I want to know how every piece of technology works. I want to spend three months building my website. I want to make sure that my business cards are exactly the right thing. Should I put my middle name or should I not put my middle name? They just get so like involved in all those details that they don't go out and sell real estate. Mm. Now, a party person, on the other hand, is going to go out and talk to everybody they know, and they might write a contract the first weekend but they won't know what form it should be on or they may not fill it out correctly. And so it's really important to know, you know, within our team and within the agents that we work with kind of what their personality is because it's proven, you know, we can see a predictable pattern of, of what stumbling blocks they might come across at the very beginning. Sure. And, you know, such a big part of improv. It's not, it's not just the yes and concept. It's listening and supporting. And uh, so, uh, you know, I can definitely tell that that plays a big role in the way not only that you, you speak with uh, clients, but but also your team. W would you say that those improvisational skills are the biggest factor in your success? Um, if, if so, how? If not, what is? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think it's just the ability to listen and to be able to teach the ability to listen. Um, mm. The person asking the questions is the one in control of the conversation. And so we do not see that we are presenting when we go out and meet with the seller, we're consulting. And so it's all about identifying what their needs are and what their questions are and what their concerns are. Um, and being able to use questions to be able to get that information. So one of our favorite questions is putting someone in the pretend state, saying, if you could wave magic wand and make this transaction go exactly the way you want it to go, what would that look like? And so now we understand that they really want to be able to get $30,000 more than the house is worth, that they would love to be able to, to close in 30 days because they've already bought a house in Florida and they didn't really want to tell us that because that puts too much pressure on us. Um, but just really asking questions to uncover what their motivation is, what their previous real estate experiences are, you know, that's just absolutely critical. And I think so many real estate agents make the mistake of presenting information. So I go in with my agenda and my objective. I tell you what I want you to know and what I think you need to know, but I may spend 30 minutes talking about price when you already knew that the price that I'm gonna tell you is right. And so I spent 30 minutes needlessly talking about something that wasn't ever even gonna be a point of you know, concern or question. And so really having a system that we follow 
um, by having a series of steps that we take. It's not a script that we follow, but it's just a series of questions that we ask along the way to uncover what points we really need to spend time talking more about is really important. And that comes from improv. Um, so I try, I've tried to get uh, my agents to take improv classes, you know, and just do some, some games. And um, a lot of people are really afraid of it. You know, they, they're afraid of not knowing what to say or not knowing how to respond. And, you know, it all starts from short form games where you just have the ability to, to not think, you know, for a second and just react and uh, role play, you know, whether it's an improv class or, you know, I really can't get agents to buy into doing, I'm going to admit, but I don't call it that, you know, we'll call it something else and let's just role play a buyer consultation. Even that's a little bit fearful for some people, but do they really want to practice on their buyer, you know, or do they want to lose a listing because they're practicing on a seller for the first time? It's so much more comfortable to practice in a simulated situation uh, where you don't know how to respond. And then you get the experience of knowing that you've done it several times and you've been successful. So you just move forward. Right. Lower the stakes a little bit. The uh, I, I do stand up now and a vital part of that is open mics, going to open mics, trying new things. And for the most part, you're in front of an audience that's only other comedians. And uh, there, there's a lot of comics who are like, oh, you know, I'm wasting my time going to these open mics, get me in front of a real audience. But that's where you work out the kinks. That's where you, you know, realize what works, what doesn't. This thing that you thought was great, you know, in the privacy of your own home, now you're in front of in this case, you know, in, in your case, your coworkers, there's no stakes. Like what's going to happen? What's the worst that's going to happen in, in that kind of scenario? So I love that you, uh, that you push that and then that, that you do that. How, how would you translate that listening to a uh, coworker, like an employee to employee or a boss to employee interaction? You know, we can talk about the, the prospective buyer and the prospective seller, and then, you know, going through you as a, as a real estate agent. How does it work in a in a peer-to-peer -peer environment? So um, in my role of directing the training program for new agents, um, I came up with a series of 26 bi-weekly conversation bi-monthly conversations that we have that are all question-based. Um, because I found that, you know, I paid for real estate coaching and it's often you walk in, it's like your counselor, what do you want to talk about this week? Well, as a new agent, you don't know what there is to talk about because you don't know what you're supposed to know yet. Mm -hmm. And so if you finally think of something, you think of something negative. Well, I was in an open house last weekend and I was having a great conversation with a potential buyer and I don't know something happened. I wasn't able to get their information and they walked out the door. And so I messed up. I don't know what I did wrong. And so then you spend 30 minutes of your coaching session talking about something negative, what went wrong. And so I developed a series of 26 guided conversations that are have four or five question prompts that kind of help someone think and prepare for that coaching session. And it's all based on the development of where they should be at each at each sort of phase, you know, within 10 weeks in, you should have had a couple buyer consultations, you should have done an open house or so. So it's based on what those experiences were. And it gives them something to think about to prepare for in advance. And it also gives us a platform for sort of launching our coaching sessions. And so I think, again, it's really important uh, for, you know, us to have that as a form of development. It also de-escalates tension. So anytime you have a conflict with 
someone, whether it's someone in the coaching program, whether it's a coworker or whether it's a seller who's mad because their house hasn't sold um, or a buyer who's mad because they lost another offer. Uh, if you can ask them a question instead of giving them information, it's just going to totally change that conversation. Uh, and it's not like just, what do you want me to do about that? But let me have you think about this. Um, you know, if let's say a seller hasn't, hasn't been successful in selling their house. Um, so let's kind of think back from the beginning. What was your time frame in the beginning? What do you think has gone well? Uh, what do you think that we can work together on? Um, and just really making it specific to their situation, it de-escalates the tension and it makes it a more collective process. Now, is that something that you stress? Let's say there's there's interpersonal conflict between two um, agents or two employees. Um, do, do you emphasize that? Absolutely. And, and I will just say that, you know, the people who excel in our company, you know, I can think of a couple of the brokers and people that I report to in general are just amazing at that. Um, so we've turned ninja into a verb. We can say that you've been ninjaed and it extends even beyond work relationships to personal relationships. So I have four adult children and one of them, like I said, is an improviser. Um, I have a daughter who's 35, 32, that's my improv daughter, and then twins that are 30. And once I kind of developed this model of questioning versus presenting and telling someone what to do, it totally has changed my relationships with my children. Um, for example, you know, my oldest daughter called me at one point and she's a teacher and she was thinking for a while about moving to another school because she wanted to teach a different subject. Normally, mom would have said, well, that's a really bad idea. You've been at that school for 10 years. This is why you need to stay. You know, you're a great Spanish teacher. I know you really love history too, but do you really want to relearn all the curriculum and all that? And so one of the favorite questions that we have is just tell me more about that. And so it's as simple as that. And, you know, then she ends up talking for an hour and all I do is say, so tell me more about that. So, and then why do you have an interest in that? Except we try to not use the why word because that puts someone in the defensive. Like, why did mm -hmm. you pull your sister's hair? So what made you start <laughs> thinking about that? They're still and, doing that, right? Pulling each other's hair. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Um, but, you know, the, the end result is that, you know, I'll never forget that call. She was like, mom, thank you so much. Like, you've really, really made this like, this was a great conversation. Thank you for your advice. I didn't give her any advice. <laughs> I just helped her talk through it. And before I took Ninja and really kind of adapted this whole model for the way that I have, you know, interpersonal relationships, I would have totally told her what to do. And then, you know, what happens with adult children? She would have done the opposite of that because mm -hmm. she wasn't calling really for my opinion. She was calling for somebody to listen and just when you finally realize that, you know, no matter if it's a work relationship or a personal relationship or a client relationship, it totally changes the way that, you know, you you engage with people and that they respect you and listen to you. So my daughter, who's an improviser, is also a teacher, but she's just made the tr transition to be a real estate agent. She's on my team. We just started a team and I'm so excited about okay. working with her. And now she's taken Ninja. So now she understands the secret. Mm -hmm. Um but we kind of say that, you know, I went in and talked to my boss or whatever, and she mentioned me because basically, you know, she didn't tell me what to do. It's all about, you know, that relationship of being really question based in everything that we do.
You can't laugh at that. You Can't Laugh at That is brought to you by Water Cooler Comedy. Now, for too long, we've been asking the question, should work be focused on work or fun? But Mark Twain once said that work and play are two words used to describe the same thing under different circumstances. So my point is that we're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, should work be work or fun, the question should be, how can we make work fun? Whether it's a keynote speech, a half-day workshop, a 90-day consulting program, a customized corporate comedy experience for you and your team as you try to figure out how to reboard, how to get back to work after working virtually for a year. Why humor in the workplace? Well, studies have shown that humor builds resilience. It allows us to adapt to problems more quickly, more creatively, and more correct. It allows us to adapt to problems more quickly, more creatively, and more corrupt. I can't say collaboratively. <laughs> it allows us to adapt to not being able to say collaboratively correctly. Because not only does laughter make us feel better, it makes us work better, too. So why not make work the time and place to laugh? Check out watercoolercomedy.org. made the point too it's the right asking the right questions too not the why questions to put people on the defensive but how questions or just to get people to elaborate that's huge and it's a that's something that a lot of people miss would you say that that's like especially now with, with thing there's a lot of uncertainty and you know to me I look at uncertainty and I'm like good that's that's material for me that's opportunity to grow that's opportunity to try something new and different um is that kind of the the sauce that people miss the the secret sauce that people miss is asking questions would you say that that's true in a lot of cases oh 100 percent um because you don't understand what they want until you just you know ask the questions that kind of guide you through the process and again you know we have the framework the ladder of like this is you know these are the 10 steps through our buyer process that kind of start with building on your experience you know tell me about your last house you know how long did you look um, and so then there, we look for about six months. Well, you don't just check that question off and go to the next question because you don't want to look for six months again, right? So tell me about that six months. Were you actively looking the entire time or do you get more serious toward the end? Oh, we were seriously looking the entire time. And so then the next question is what changed that you were able to finally find a home? And so then they can tell you that, you know, they increased their budget. Well, you know, right off the bat, that they um, are somebody who probably they're approved for 400, but they tell you that they only want to spend 350. So if you don't listen and ask those questions at the beginning, you're going to replicate the past experience because they're going to want to start below their budget again. They're going to go for five months and finally realize that they that's not going to work for them. They can't get it. And so then they're going to, you know, end up in, going to the top end of what they're approved for. So they tell you that they were able to finally be successful because they increased their budget. So now you can say, so let's have a plan. Let's go out the first weekend and we'll look at 350. But in order not to repeat this, you know, of taking it six months and we don't say that to them, you know, but if that doesn't work, you know, if you don't find what you're looking for, then let's have the strategy of let's kind of adapt quickly uh, so that we can then increase your budget uh, and, you know, get you 
sort of in that price point that may give you some of the things that you're missing when we go out the first weekend. How does that translate again to the making sure that your team is engaged, that they're operating on all cylinders uh, in the workplace? And that's really important too. Like, you know, for new agents, if they're going out, if they're doing something, um, it, and even goal setting in the beginning, like one of our first things is to have a goal setting appointment to say, what are your expectations for your first year? Um, what is your must have goal? Like, if you don't get this, you're going to have to go back to working a full-time job. And then what is your wow goal? And what is that wow goal going to allow you to accomplish? If you make $100,000 your first year, what is that going to do? And so then you uncover their motivation and their why. And so then everything is tied back into kind of their why. And one of the tools that we do for this is what we call a life list. And again, I, you have to give Larry Kendall credit for this, not me. Uh, but it's four categories that in which you list, you know, eight to 10 things that you want to accomplish over your lifetime. And the first one is family and friends. So, and that could be, you know, a vacation that you want to take with your family. It could be something that spend more time with them or buy a vacation home or whatever it might be. And the second is your career and your occupation. So what do you want to accomplish in your career, whether that's to develop a team yourself, uh, to become a broker, to get designations. The third category is recreation and dreams. So what do you look forward to doing? And the difference in recreation and dreams is recreation is what you're going to do in a short period of time, maybe this month or routinely, like simple present tense on, a, on a, every weekend or as a habit. And then dreams is what you look forward to. Maybe the trip that's a year down the road. And then the last category is to be and to give. And so that's your, your life list shift, your life list, your life list shifts. That was a tech twist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a hard time even hearing it. <laughs> yeah. As, as you get older. And so now that I'm 60, like my life list is much more about to be and to give. That's more important to me than, you know, the career objectives that I want to mm -hmm. check off uh, because I want to leave a legacy and I want, you know, people to, I want to leave a, a footprint. So the training program that I've created and um, as a perfection person, it's kind of hard to give up control. And so, you know, I've got a mentor team that, that now, when I first started the program at Parks three and a half years ago, I was the only mentor that was like part of officially our mentor team and I kind of created the program and all the 26 training modules just myself but now we've got six or seven mentors who are working with our new agents and so I'm starting to give some responsibility some of that opportunity for training like the weekly training back to them so if somebody's late getting it started on zoom you know I have to just let myself not jump in and fix it because as a perfection person I want to fix the problems but people aren't going to grow and you're not going to replicate a system if you don't give other people, you know, the opportunity and ability to, to fill in their part and to learn and to do it a different way than you do it. And that's really one of the biggest challenges for me because as a perfection person, I want it, you know, with slides and PowerPoints and, you know, lots of preparation, but a party person's just going to get on and talk and a power person's just going to get on and say, just do it, get over yourself. So for each of our agents, you know, to interact with people um, who are in different personalities and different roles, it's really important to in building a team. And I think, you know, if you had a team of all perfection people, 
all you do is just talk about what you were going to do and you probably wouldn't get very much done and power people would just like not create the collaborative you know environment that we want to create because it they know the best way to do it and just do what i tell you to do so i think building a team is really important to have a lot of different personalities absolutely yeah i mean how boring if everybody thinks the same uh lastly the the crystal ball question, you know, your next level of success getting through, you know, I mean, as you were saying in our conversation before we started recording that it's a low inventory market, you know, there, there's there's new obstacles that we're facing. Um, in a lot of cases, new obstacles that we've never faced before. So let's say your team is firing on all cylinders. What does that look like? Um, so I think it's continually kind of thinking of what the next step is for you and having a vision and picture for that, but being able to adapt, just like we adapted, you know, during the beginning of the pandemic. I went around to all the offices, to 10 offices and taught classes, and we made the adaptation that we we're going to do this on Zoom. And so we'd already kind of set some of that up uh, with me being less available to travel to all the offices before the pandemic hit. So we were quickly able to adapt. But I think for me, a lot of it has been seeing my personal sort of vision. Um, I've worked for parks and I have um, created a training program that now others can successfully continue. And there's compensation, you know, involved with that of as agents uh, closer transactions in the coaching program, then there's compensation to the mentor for helping them. But my personal evolution of that has been to, to say, hey, I kind of want to do this on for me personally. And so I'm developing, I'm building a team, a real estate team that will work directly under me, both in Kentucky and Tennessee, because I'm licensed in both states. And so now my team building is going to be building that, that team under the Parks brand and under another company in, in Kentucky, who I can work directly with choosing the right people that I see have talent, uh, giving them the tools and resources and my support so that, you know, they're actually kind of working to build my own personal brand. Uh, and that's my personal evolution of that. I don't know that I really answered your question though. No, it, it, it did. I'm sensing, you know, you mentioned legacy a little bit earlier and you're, you're talking about it right now. Right. Yeah calling at the Heinz home team. So, you know, and having my daughter on it and, you know, agents that I know that I can connect with and that bring diversity and diversity is something that's really, really personal to, you know, at my heart and I, I just embracing people from all different walks of lives and backgrounds. And, um, and so being able to kind of really um, reach, you know, diverse populations through having a diverse group of people on my team is, is something I'm really excited about being able to do. Now, is that uh, giving, like adding value to others, is that mentality ingrained in the culture at Parks? Like, is that a top-down thing? Have you gotten a lot of seat, uh, support from, from the top? And and you, you can say things that are disparaging. It's fine, I'll leave them out. <laughs> I always send you a recording, uh, but... <laughs> no, it is, it, it, I don't even have to think about leaving yeah. anything out. And that is why we are repeatedly a number one top workplace. In fact, our company mission is we exist in order to inspire our staff and agents to create a magnificent life. Mm. And so that's intentional. And th think of the words in that we exist in order to inspire. Mm -hmm. 
not in order to enable. And so inspiration and creativity, you know, having the vision of where you want to go is at the very foundation of our company culture from, from the very big base. But that all stems from the top down. So whenever you think of a company that has that sort of Ritz-Carlton mentality, you know, it's just that, that attitude of customer service. So it's both outward in terms of, you know, how we serve, but it's also inward. And our president and CEO, Bob Parks, who started the company 45 years ago, would say, it doesn't matter how many transactions you close. It doesn't matter how much volume you do. It doesn't matter as our company, we had a record breaking year in, in 2020, 3.07 billion in sales in a pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's amazing, you know, that we were able to do that, you know, faced with the challenges that we had, but those accolades and those, those things are not as important to him as the culture of the company. And he will say, and I've heard him say many times that the number one award that gives him pride is our recognition as a top workplace. It's not number one in production or market share, but it's that we've created the environment that people feel comfortable being themselves in and that they want to, to work in. Another ninja kind of saying is that in the absence of value, price becomes more important. So just as sellers might shop around for someone who'll cut their commission, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we can say, do you think your house will sell for a fixed price or somewhere within a range of value, depending on the marketing and negotiating skills of the realtor you choose to represent you. And so it's kind of the same thing as a company. You can go out and find somebody who's going to give you a better split or have a lower office bill or give you 200 copies a month versus 100 copies a month. But the bottom line is, if you create a work culture, workplace culture that causes people to want to be there and that makes them feel a part of something bigger than they are, it's not going to matter um, to the same degree. And so that's really the heart of Parks. And it, it comes from the very top. It, people that he chooses to work for him or that work for the company have to feel that way. Um, our brokers, um, you know, our management team, everybody in leadership at Parks is very, very, very passionate about that and has to buy into the, that mission of, you know, our company culture where they're not going to be a good fit. That sums everything up. I mean, my last question is, you know, what, how, what would you tell a leader who uh, is resistant to incorporating some of these things that we've talked about today from improv to listening to, to, um, you know, inspiring. And unless there's something else you want to add, I think that the last couple of minutes really, really hit that home for me, at least me personally. Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, choosing people who align with your philosophy. And if you identify somebody who doesn't, you know, lots of times they're going to realize it mm -hmm. and they're going to exit themselves. Yep. Yep. I've worked in cultures like that where they just, they just work themselves out organically and they know, and everyone knows, and it's no, no harm, no foul. That's usually, right. usually. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. And I always like to ask if there's anything that uh, that wasn't funny, uh, but that ended up being funny that's happened to you at work over the last year or so. If you can think of anything off the top of your head. I always do so many strange things that I just have learned to laugh at myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a perfection person, we don't like it when we mess up. So I, I wish I thought of, I wish I could think right now of a great example of that. 
and nothing's coming to mind other than just oh well i was standing um doing a presentation in front of 60 or 70 agents and i turned around quickly and i guess i was wearing rubber soled shoes and a dress by the way uh but it stuck to the carpet and i just face pointed you know Ooh, that's not in front of people yeah. just turning around so um but you know you just get back up you brush it off and then you just have to move on because if you make a big deal about it and you're embarrassed and you lose track of where you were and kind of get flustered then it's going to be a lot more memorable to everybody that you messed up than it was you just shake it off and make a joke about it and say i, I you know some people have trouble like walking or you know whatever climbing a building but you know i can't even turn around without falling down right. so and just move on yeah something simple you don't want to lose your audience especially when there's a, an elephant in the room like that <laughs> right know. everybody sees it you can't yep. hide so yep absolutely uh well at least at least it was just you that felt one of my first presentations last year uh it was it was a real weird setup and the projector was kind of like sitting on a chair and the cord was not taught to the ground and uh so i tripped the mayor of this uh this town that i was speaking in with with the cord so that's when i knew 2020 was off to a great start so at least at least you just <laughs> fell on your own and uh didn't try to assassinate somebody so. yes very good well listen to the podcast now ask questions you can find it on spotify apple wherever you get your podcast and I'm in the episode bathroom spaghetti. You're a podcast pro. You are. You got your plug in without even without. I, I didn't even. That's have to right. Ask. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't your first rodeo. So That's cool. Right. Well, Brenda, thank you for taking the time. Um, I. Yeah, that's like I said, I'll let you know when uh, this is about to come out. I'll shoot you a link to like the video of it. Most people listen to it audio, but I also put it on YouTube for those people who like the visual aspect. So. Great, I would have really done my hair, sorry. Thank you for listening to You Can't Laugh At That's You Can't Laugh At Work series. To learn more about Brenda and Parks Realty, visit parksathome.com and you can follow Brenda on LinkedIn. And of course, be sure to like, share, subscribe, rate us, tell your friends, tell your kids, tell your wife, tell your neighbors, tell your uncle's drug dealer. Because without you, we can't prove to more people around the globe that no matter if you literally fall in front of your team, if things don't go according to plan, and if you're going through it at your job right now, there's always a way to laugh at work. My name is David Horning. Thanks for listening. <laughs>